Welcome to Oaks Church, where we grow great lives and build big people. Thank you for checking out our podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this life-changing message from Pastor Joel Scrivener. For more information, visit us online at oakschurch.com or follow us on social media at Oaks Church Texas. So as we jump into this, core values, I'm going to pray real quick and I'm going to try to... um, move quickly through this material. This is all new material. Um, These four principles we'll cover for the next four weeks. This is a foundation for our church. Uh, This will, at some point in time, be moved into what we'll call a membership class or some type of a process uh, that we help people walk through and getting connected uh, into our organization, into this church family. But these next four weeks are foundational. All the messages are brand new. These four points came to me literally in a dream that I woke up and wrote uh, the vision for this church from. And I just want to encourage you that this is a season that God wants to encounter you. And the very first step, uh, the very first core value that we have is encounter. I'm going to read a little paragraph that I wrote. At Oaks Church, our primary focus is leading people to a personal encounter with the living God. Our goal is to provide engaging experiences that provoke individuals to find relationships with God and a relationship with God and perpetually dig deeper into God's presence. Our objective is to teach people to hear and to know God's voice and, and, to, and to have the courage to bring, uh, I'm sorry, I voice texted this to myself. And sometimes Siri is very deceitful. She, she put wrong words in there. <laughs> and have the courage to follow and obey him on their personal faith journey. It's important that each and every one of us understand that the encounter with God that we have is not meant to be a one-time. It's meant to be something that we live in perpetually. We're encountering God perpetually. Jesus Christ died so that you could have relationship with the living God. That is really big news. It's not about at all. It's not about just having an experience. It's about a living relationship that you can encounter him on a daily basis. Now, I don't know how you grew up. I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma in the 80s during the uh, televangelist era. And anything uh, spiritually spooky could that could happen happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay. Can I just put it to you like that? And and so I remember, I mean, I grew up, my family was very spiritual, but so spiritual. Some of you heard me say this. My mom to this day swears. My first word was Jesus. Now that's not because I'm so good. That's because I got parents that are so dedicated to the things of God that they're saying, instead of saying mama, dada, they're saying Jesus, Jesus, right? And so the baby, his first words are Jesus. She swears to it. She's not a liar. So I'm just going to go with it. All right. But, but I'm telling you the house I grew up in, if I was misbehaving, my mom would pray in tongues at me. All right. It was that spiritual. Get the the behind me, Satan. Cast that demon out of this boy. Right. I mean, it was a spiritual household. My parents were wonderful. The best parents any kid could ever have. And they taught me, they trained me how to encounter God for myself. When my hamster was sick, we laid hands on it. I prayed for Roscoe and Flash, my two gerbils, right? Some of y'all know the Dukes of Hazard. I had gerbils, Roscoe and Flash. Come on. You know what I'm talking about? Roscoe P. There we go. Thank you very much. And I'm going to tell you a story that's a little graphic, but I, wanna, I want you to understand the way I grew up. I had a bunny rabbit. His name was Snowflake. 
And Bunny Rabbit got out of his cage, and I was trying to show my friend my Bunny Rabbit, but he was hiding behind the rose bushes. And so I grabbed a stick and was poking to get my Bunny Rabbit to run out so I could show him to my friend, but I actually poked him in the eye. And I poked his eye out. <laughs> out, like, like in a movie, like out. It was bad. And I'm freaking out. Okay, I'm 10. I'm freaking out. I've, I've just maimed my, I'm going to have a, a, a bunny rabbit with a pirate eye patch from now on. You know what? And so my parents are like, just calm down, Joel. Let's pray for him. No lie. We prayed for this bunny rabbit. Within a matter of a couple days, his eyeball came back into his head. It glassed over like a cataract for a little while. And then all of a sudden that went away and he was 100% totally healed. I, we healed a bunny rabbit, y'all. That's how I grew up. I grew up, and anything that went wrong, it was Advil, no, pray, right? Everything was spiritual, and it was all about encountering God, and so I have a childhood of growing up, going to children's ministry, and being in ministry, and leading people in the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and getting people saved as a child and as a teenager. I've got encounters all through my life of incredible and powerful and beautiful spiritual things. And it created in me a hunger for more. A hunger for more. Here at Oaks Church, we want to have a culture that's hungry for more of God. For more. The deeper things of God. It says in scripture that deep calls unto deep. And God is calling to the deep things inside of you. He's beckoning you to come deeper into the water. He wants to encounter you. I don't know how you grow up. You may uh, be looking for an exit uh, after hearing my bunny rabbit story. But I would pray that you have grace because he was healed. Please don't call PETA. Um, but you may have grown up completely different. You, you may have grown up, and I have friends. One of my friends uh, that's a good buddy of mine, he, I was the first person he ever saw reading a Bible. He was in his mid-30s, and it was during my professional martial arts season. And we were at a tournament, and I was laying on the hotel room bed. I was in my 20s, and I'm reading my Bible. And he goes, what are you doing? He, he grew up Irish Catholic and he's, he had never seen anyone reading a Bible. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm, I'm reading my Bible. He goes, why? Why would you do that? I said, because I, I want to know God more. I've, I've never, I, I don't, what do you mean? What, what do you mean, why wouldn't I do? Don't you want to know? He goes, well, I'm Irish, so me and God are like this. Right, that's his mindset. God is with the Irish, okay? Uh, but, but so anyway, he literally, he, he didn't believe that it was real. So he tried everything for years to provoke me to, to be unchristian. Not for the sake, he wanted to see if it was real or not. And it was the first time he'd, any, he'd ever seen anybody actually pursue to have encounters with God, to know God face to face, and it, and it, it affected his life. The first time he ever came to a Christian church service was our daughter's funeral. And I was speaking there, and afterwards he wanted to have lunch with me. He was weeping. He was, I've never been in a church service so powerful. I'm like, buddy, that was a funeral. <laughs> you, should, you should come on Sunday. <laughs> you know, it's a little, so I, but I'm telling you guys, there's an encounter. You may, have, you may have not grown up the way I grew up, or you may have grown up even, even wilder, right? But regardless, there's more. There's a deeper place. None of us are better than anyone else. We're all on a journey. Only God is good. So Jesus said, when they called him good teacher, he said, why do you call me good? There's only one that's good. And that's the Father in heaven. He's the good thing in each and every one of us. Amen? Let me tell you something. You have a God 
that loves to encounter you. Do you believe that? You have a God that loves to encounter you. Jesus Christ came to the earth so that God could encounter humans in a brand new way. God had been encountering humans for a long time, but never like Jesus. Jesus was the first one to introduce to us the picture and the imagery and the illustration of God as a loving father. It was the major distinction, the first time in human history that God had been described as a loving father. In the Old Testament, he was the almighty, the all-powerful. There's so many different names that were about his nature, but Jesus called him father. And as that revelation began to unfold, he began to be called Abba, which is a very loving, nurturing, daddy type uh, phrase. And it's important for all of us to understand that you've got a loving daddy that desires, he loves to encounter you. Scripture says in John 6, 44, that no one comes to me unless the father who sent me draws him. That's what Jesus declared. Jesus declared that the father is the one who is drawing us to him because he wants to encounter us. Do you believe that today? God wants to encounter you. He wants you to encounter him in a brand new way, in a perpetual way. Now, Jesus talks a lot about having faith like a child. I, in our household, we had a couple little, little cute things that our kids would do, and both of them did this, but Blakely was the one that, because she's our last, uh, that, uh, that she did this. Hi, Blake. Yeah, I'm talking about you in front of all these people. Um, Blakely had this cute little thing she would do. Sydney did it too. But they would come up when they wanted you to pick them up, and they would both say, ho-ju. Right? Ho-ju. <laughs> and it was the one thing that we we're like, please, God, don't ever let them learn the proper English phrase for what they're trying to, because it was the cutest thing, and you could never resist this. How'd you? She was, she was meaning, please pick me up. My feet are tired. But what she said is, I want to hold you, and it provoked our hearts. It was the most beautiful and adorable thing ever. And listen, that's why Jesus said, have faith like a child. There's something so irresistible about you when you do this. He can't help but reach down and pick you up. You're so irresistible to him. He adores you. You're the apple of his eye. He's so in love with you. Words cannot express. When we were going through the journey of of losing our daughter to cancer, one of the things the Lord spoke to him in my spirit, he's like, Joel, this hurts me more than it hurts you. I love her more than you. I loved her first And the love I have for her goes so far beyond your human ability to love. You have no idea how this makes me feel. But trust me, Joel, I'm with you through this. Come on, God loves you. No matter how horrible things have been, no matter what you've gone through, he loves you and he wants to encounter you. Here's the next bit of good news. God is pursuing you. God is pursuing you. See, the scripture describes Jesus as the groom and his church as his bride. Now, I'm a little old-fashioned, maybe, because this new day and age, it seems like girls are pursuing a little harder than it was when I grew up. It's fitting for a male to pursue. Ladies, it's fitting for, for the male to pursue. It's not fitting for the female, for the bride to pursue. Now, now help a brother out because we're a little dense and we need a clue, you know. 
Don't act too aloof and we think she don't like me. Uh, but give us a little hint. Give us a clue. But it's for the man to pursue. Jesus is pursuing you. He's pursuing you. He desires to be intimate with you. I want to read you a couple of passages. There's a verse that I'll reference where Jesus, in the book of John, chapter 1, I'm not going to read it to you, but I'll just describe this story, and I'm going to take you to our home base uh, for this passage. Uh, but in John chapter 1, Jesus is going out, and he's pursuing his disciples. He's uh, meeting his disciples. He's, he's calling them to come to him, and he meets this one disciple named Philip, and Philip is so blown away. He goes to his friend named Nathaniel, and he goes to Nathaniel and says, come and meet the Messiah, the Son of the living God. It's Jesus Christ from Nazareth. And Nathaniel is so sarcastic and so maybe jaded at spiritual things that he literally says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Now, when Jesus is sitting and waiting and watching and Nathaniel is brought to him by Philip, Jesus looks out to him and says, Nathaniel, there is an Israelite in whom there is no guile or no deceit. And Nathaniel says, who... How do you think you know me? And Jesus said, I knew you when you were sitting under the fig tree and Philip went to, God, to come and get you to bring you to me. So Jesus said, I saw you in the spirit when Philip went to get you. So Nathanael says to him, I perceive that you are a prophet. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus said, oh, this impresses you? Just wait, because you will see the angels of heaven ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Jesus was making a connection to a story that I'll read you in a moment in the Old Testament. It's called Jacob's Ladder. Or the stairway to heaven. Some of you that like a little Led Zeppelin in your life, you understand that's where that came from. The stairway to heaven, the ladder of Jacob, that when Jacob had a vision of seeing the angels ascending and descending, Jesus said, stick with me, buddy. This is your first encounter, but you're about to see some unbelievable things. Jesus is pursuing you. He wants you to have a perpetual state of encounter with him to know him more and more and more. Amen? Amen. Let's look at this passage. This is now Genesis chapter 28. I'm going to read you a little story here. This is a foundation. These four principles I believe the Lord is showing me. Uh, the, the, the two main passages that the Lord gave me in founding this church was Isaiah 61, which we've talked about, and Acts chapter 2, uh, which was the formation and the beginning of the church being built by Jesus. Jesus Christ is building this church. Amen. We are what's called in Scripture the lively stones. We're lively stones. We're not bricks. Everyone's not supposed to be the same. It's not supposed to be an atmosphere of conformity and uniformity. It's supposed to be an atmosphere where everybody is unique and different, different flavors, different atmospheres, different attitudes, different contexts, different backstories, and together we make a beautiful structure, a beautiful edifice, God's church that he fits together with lively stones. That's the picture in scripture of Jesus building his church. Amen? We believe, we believe in creativity. We believe in creative expression. We believe in individuality. We believe that every single one of you have a call of God on your life that's unique and different. You have an encounter with God that will be unique and different. Some of us will have similar experiences, but not anyone is better than another. God will use each and every one of us in our own special way. Amen? Amen. So look at this passage. Genesis 28. 
The story of Jacob is fast becoming a part of the story of Oaks Church because this is the forming of a nation that I'm about to read to you. This is the beginning stage of the forming of a nation, and this is Jacob's first encounter with the living God. Now, Jacob went out from Beersheba. He was running for his life because he thought his brother Esau was going to kill him, and he went to Beersheba. I think that's funny. It was probably a bar. Uh, he went uh, there. He just made a quick stop there. Went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set, and he took one of the stones of that place, and he put it at his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder or a stairway was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it, and behold, watch this, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, and the land on which you lie, I will give to you your descendants, also your, uh, to you and your descendants also, also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What a promise. Is this an amazing promise from God? Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. When God speaks a word to you, when you have an encounter with the living God and he speaks a word to you, his word, it says that his word, he watches over it to perform it. It will not return back to him empty or void. It's so important that we all learn how to receive the word of the Lord uh, to, into our spirit, into our soul, reading through the Bible spending time in prayer, encountering God, where we develop a relationship that we can begin to, to hear and to understand and to perceive the voice of God in our life. Because when we hear and know that we've heard him, we can absolutely take that to the bank because he watches over his promises to make sure they're performed. That is a massive promise of God, something that's so important for each and every one of us. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early. Pay attention to these points. We'll revisit them in a little bit. He rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put at his head, and he set it up as a pillar. And then he poured oil all over the top of it, and he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city had previously been Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God be with me, and keep me in this way that I am going, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I may come back to my father's house in peace. Are you watching this? Jacob is making a deal with God. He's making a covenant with God. He heard God's terms. God's terms were terms of promise. They were terms of destiny. They were terms of multiplication. They were terms of influence. East and the west, more children than the sand on the seashore, more than the stars in the sky. And I'm going to bring you this entire land I'm going to give you. Jacob wakes up. He sets up an altar. He begins to make declarations. He anoints it with oil. And then he makes a vow. He makes covenant with God and says, if you will do this, God, and you'll bring me back safely, and you'll be my God, and you'll watch over me, and you'll provide for me, and you'll do all these things for me. Watch. He says, if you'll do all those things, those were his terms, 
Then the Lord shall be my God. See, there's a time in every person's life when they go from having a relationship with God that God is the God of their parents to God being the God of their own personal life. It happens in different phases for different people, and it may happen in different levels for different people. But Jacob hit the place where he's like, I've heard my parents talk about you. I've heard my grandfather talk about you. But this is my first encounter with you. And God, would you please do it again? Would you please create a perpetual relationship that you'd speak to me, that you provide for me, that you watch over me, that you stay with me and bring me back safely to my father's house and fulfill this promise that you said you would fulfill. And then you will be my God, not just the God of my fathers, but my God. This is the beginning encounter, the relationship that God wanted to have. And he pursued and he allured Jacob. Notice Jacob was running for his life. He wasn't going to a prayer meeting. He'd gone to Beersheba, now he's taking a nap, all right? And God pursues him and initiates the, the encounter with him. God is the pursuer. Watch, and then he will be, the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house, and all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Jacob connected a vow or commitment financially to the encounter that you have with God. And this is before the law. The number one reason that people say, oh, tithing, that's Old Testament. Tithing, that's Old Covenant. No, listen, tithing is a principle that exists outside of the law. Before the law, it's a kingdom principle, giving God your your first tenth is a kingdom principle that started in the first story of humankind, Adam and Eve. It goes on to the next story with Cain and Abel. It persists all the way through every single person that moved into an intimate relationship with God. It wasn't just a little experience. They covenanted their life with God in every way, shape, and form, and it included their finances. I'm just reading you the Bible. Jesus goes on to begin to teach his disciples about a next level encounter. Before Jesus left the planet, he told his disciples that they should stay in Jerusalem and wait for power to come upon them from on high. Jesus told his disciples in Acts chapter uh, 1 and also in Luke, I believe, uh, chapter 24, that power would come upon them on high, that just as they had heard John baptized with water, they would be baptized in the Holy Spirit and with power. Can I tell you that Oaks Church is a church that is absolutely open to the expression of the Holy Holy Spirit and His power. Period. We'll never hide it. We'll never put it under a basket. No, I'm going to let it. Come on, some of you guys know. You all go all the way back to Children's Church, right? We're not going to hide it. For we're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. If it's not power, it's not Jesus. Okay? We've got to be open to the expression. See, listen, the true, true expression of who Jesus is and all of his power is the only differentiator between us and any other major religion on the planet. Because all the other religions have rules, but they don't have power. 
because they don't have the Holy Spirit of the living God filling them and living in them in fullness. And if we practice Christianity without power, we've missed the whole point. Jesus walked with his disciples for three years and then said, here's the big deal, guys. Don't miss this. This is your down payment. This is your deposit on the inheritance of eternity. Yes, eternity is important. You're going to spend eternity with me. But this next thing, the Holy Spirit coming, is the deal. You have to have this in your life or you cannot be my disciple. That's what he said. Because you won't have the courage. You won't have the boldness. You won't have the authority to contend with the forces of darkness in this world if you don't open your heart up to the power of God in your life. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. This is the beginning of the church. Before they were followers of Jesus, and then Jesus was murdered. They saw him raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And he said, I'm coming back again. But he, for 40 days, had taught them the scriptures. It was a beautiful thing. And then he ascends into heaven, and then they go into the upper room, and they're praying, and they're pursuing, and they're, they're, they're seeking God. God has pursued them, and now they're pursuing God back. And this is what happens. At the beginning of the church, the formation of God's church, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing and mighty wind, and it went and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of their heads, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, as this story goes and continues, uh, it was such a ruckus, and the wind that blew through there, the, the Holy Spirit caused such a stir, and there were people from all over, uh, the different nations, Jews from all over, they were in town for Pentecost. See, and we'll celebrate Pentecost uh, at Oaks Church. Oaks Church will be a church that doesn't just celebrate Easter and Christmas. We will celebrate Pentecost, too, because it's one of the most important holidays in the Christian church. Pentecost means 50 days. It's, 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 a, it's a picture of the 50 days from Moses going up onto the mountain and then coming down with the Ten Commandments. 50 days of them escaping from, from Egypt, going through the wilderness, and then setting up camp, and him going up on the mountain. Coming, It was 50 days from their escape from Egypt. 50 days from Passover to Pentecost. And the celebration in the Jewish culture for Pentecost was the celebration of the giving of the law. Okay? It's the celebration of the giving of the law, the Torah, the book, the, the, the Ten Commandments that, that grew into thousands of, 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 of laws and passages. But when Jesus came and he fulfilled it, he fulfilled it on Pentecost on purpose. Because the Holy Spirit coming and living inside of us as believers in the fullness of his power is the fulfillment of what Jesus came to do. Not just leave us in a book full of rules, but to put the spirit of the living God inside of us so that we have the word of God written on the tablets of our own hearts. Amen? Massively important. But it was messy. Come on, some of you have been to a church service where you thought people might be drunk. 
That's what happened here. They were speaking in other languages. They were, they were prophesying. They were praising. Their worship was extravagant. It was, it was loud. It caught the attention of the public. And there were three types of people there. There were people that were intrigued. There were people that were all in. And there were people that were scoffers. Made fun of them. Look at these fools. They're just drunk. Peter stands up and preaches his very first message full of the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful message that you can read in Acts chapter 2. I encourage you to read it. We'll, we'll build some of our text out of this over the next uh, few weeks as we walk through the, three, uh, the, the next three points of our core values. But he preaches this incredible message, and it cuts to the hearts of the people. And then it goes to this moment where, his pe- where, where the people that were listening, they literally, this is Acts chapter 2, verse 37, now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is to you and your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Did you hear what I just read? Because a lot of people have fallen into the trap of bad doctrine. It's called the doctrine of cessationism, which means that the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit have ceased. They perished at the end of the age of the apostles once the Bible was canonized, and it's a false doctrine that has no basis in Scripture whatsoever. In fact, this passage right here denounces that doctrine as absolute foolishness because the promise of the Holy Spirit, and here, this is a, this is a interpretation of law. It's a, it's a rule when you're interpreting Scripture. It's called the law of first mention. And when something happens for the first time, it sets a platform that every other time it happens from there, it, pla- it launches off of that platform. It's a boundary or it's at least a starting point for how it will be from now on. And when the Holy Spirit was poured out, it was poured out with a promise that if you will repent and give your life to Jesus, if you will return to God's way of thinking and give yourself to him and open yourself to the Holy Spirit, you too will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that was promised. It's for you. It's for your children. It's for your children's children, all who are afar off, and anyone who the Lord Jesus will ever call. It's a perpetual promise, a perpetual gift. It didn't expire or become extinguished. It's only getting more powerful. It's only getting more powerful around the world. But you got to believe. And my, my big question for you today, I always try to have a big question, and that's simply this. Are you open to intimacy? Intimacy with God. Are you open to that? Because intimacy can make you uncomfortable. You, 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 ever, you ever had a friend that was a close talker? And, you're, and they're like, they talk to you, and they're always like, and you're like, bro, tic-tac, please. I got a couple friends that are close talkers, and you can always tell a close talker because they're leaned way in, and the person they're talking to is leaned way back. You know, it has like a posture. They got their hand on their pistol. You know, I mean, they're, just, they're close talkers. Intimacy can be uncomfortable. Uh, intimacy can also be inappropriate in different settings. Please keep your intimacy to yourself (laughs) in this room. But as husbands and wives, I pray that you have fantastic intimacy because God created it 
such so that you could have a knowing of each other in an intimate connection that no one else gets to be privy to. It's one of the most beautiful things that God describes. And this is what's so cool. When it talks about the opportunity for you to know God in Scripture, it uses the word in Hebrew, yada, and yada is where in Yiddish they get the yada, yada, yada. It means talking, talking, talking. But yada is the word to know intimately. The same word yada for knowing God intimately is the same word yada for a husband and a wife knowing each other after marriage. It's about intimacy. But intimacy can be messy. Intimacy can, can, can make someone uncomfortable. It's important that we're, that, that, listen, when we worship here, you know, we, we believe, this is just a core value, we believe in the expression, the power of the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't have to be weird or spooky. It can just be powerful, but get, listen, sometimes it is, though. <laughs> so, sometimes people do get healed, and sometimes demons do come out, and sometimes it's spooky. I've experienced things that are spooky. I've cast demons out of people. I've seen them snarl and, and, and writhe and hiss like in the movies. It's real. It's real, and it's spooky. So we'll try not to do that right here. But if it happens, it happens, and we're going to kick that demon's butt out of here, okay? We're just going to kick him out. You know? We, we believe, this is a church, we believe in praying in the Holy Spirit. We believe in supernatural languages, just like the Bible described. We, we believe in prophecy. We believe in healing. We believe in words of wisdom and knowledge. We believe in all of the gifts of the Spirit, and we believe that they should be expressed and practiced and demonstrated in appropriate ways and then explained. Because if we'll just explain, this is what Peter did. Guys, they're not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. Give them till like 3 at least. They're not drunk. The Holy Spirit was poured out on them like it was promised by the prophet Joel. That in the, in the, in the, new, in the, the later days that the Holy Spirit will be poured out and sons will prophesy and all men will dream dreams. And this beautiful expression, this is what happened. The prophets described and all of a sudden there was an altar call and 3,000 people joined the church that day. They were willing to be intimate. They were willing. They, want, they said, we want what you've got. We can have this intimacy with the Holy Spirit. We can have this relationship with the living God. We can, we can have this power come into our lives and not be. And the, the, the nation of Israel was in a place of impotence. They were in a place of domination. They, they were being ruled by Rome at the time. And it was intriguing and desirable for them to receive the power of God in their life. And the question is simply this. Are you open to it? Are you intrigued enough? You may not be ready yet. That's okay. Just stay on the journey. Remember I said there were people that were intrigued. There were people that were all in. And there were people that were scoffers. Just don't be the scoffer. Just don't be the scoffer. The next and most important thing that we do, each and every one of us, is that we create space in our lives for an encounter create space for an encounter. God has moved towards you. He's the one pursuing you, but you have to respond. We can't live our lives. Listen, Dallas is a fast city and we're busy and we got jobs. Most homes are dual income homes. People are busy. We got kids. We're juggling. We got soccer and hockey and ballet and all this stuff. And we got hobbies and we got friends and, and it's busy, busy, busy. And if we're not careful, 
We can live our life as a believer, and the only time we even think about God is on Sunday morning. And although I want you to be here every Sunday morning, so I'm not lonely, I want even more for you to be with him throughout the week. And you've got to create space in your life for encounter. And scripture says, if you will draw, this is James chapter 4, 8. If you will draw near to God, he will draw near to you. If you will say, hold you, he will draw near to you. If you'll create space in your life. See, this is the thing, and I'm going to run through a couple things that Jacob did. I told you to remember those steps that Jacob made. Jacob, it says the first step when he woke up, it says that he got up early. Some of you are like, mm-mm, that ain't, the, that ain't, that ain't Jesus. <laughs> no, he got up early. Because some of us, listen, you have to create space somewhere. And for me personally, it may be different for you. But if I don't create space early, it often doesn't happen because then life happens. And you're scrambling, right? And it's so important, this principle of creating space and making God a priority in your life. If you have to put it on your calendar, I'm sorry, I can't do this yet. I have an appointment. You have an appointment at 8 a.m.? Yes, I do. It's a standing appointment. I have an appointment at 6 a.m. Wow, you started early. Yes, I sure do. It's a standing appointment with my creator. It's the most important appointment I have all day long. See, see, in part of my journey, when I came back to God, see, I had a falling away period. And when I came back to God, I had a radical experience my senior year of high school and then on into college. And I was so crazy in love and devoted to God. I'd created this, this, this space in my life for an encounter that every single morning, the first thing I would do is I was emulating my dad. I would get my cup of coffee and I would get my Bible open. I would begin to worship and create a space for God. And I would get enraptured into God's presence. And I would be late to college because I was too enraptured in the presence of God. And I still got straight A's. No, I didn't. I'm just joking. It's close. It's close. Jacob got up early. Second thing he did is he prepared an environment. You've got to prepare an environment for God. He set, a, he set the stone up as an altar. You must make a place in your life that is an altar for you. A place in your life that's holy that you go away. I've heard people talk about their prayer closet. That's fine. Mine is my study. I have a, a study in my house. My, I have a couple different places in my house. And when we're creating environments, I'm always thinking, where is my holy place going to be? Because everything great that comes in my life comes by first me going to my holy place. Every book I've written, every message, every great idea, anything I've ever created, everything good that I've created has come from a holy place. You have to create an altar in your world somewhere. Could be multiple places that you can go and be inspired. The second, the third thing that he did is he poured oil. He anointed that space. He actively worshiped. You have to create active worship that now you're the one reaching up. You're the one creating atmosphere. You're the one creating an aroma for God uh, to, to come and an atmosphere. He inhabits the praises of his people. That's what the scripture says. Fourthly, you make declarations unto God. You declare your faith to God. You declare and you begin the third, fifth thing is you make vows unto him. You begin to create a real relationship. God, if you will show up for me, I will show up for you. God, I want to be, you know, come on, some of us, we understand you're making those declarations. You're making those vows in your life because you want to have God move in a powerful way. And if you're not willing to be serious about him, then it doesn't provoke the most serious part of him for you. And the sixth thing, was you got to make sure that you seal your covenant financially. 
It's important you do this, guys. Some of you haven't come to a place of having a revelation of making a financial covenant with God. The, the, the revelation of tithing is so big, guys. It's so big. And it's not because a church needs your money. It's not because people need your money. It's certainly not because God needs your money. God does not need your money. It's because God wants your heart. And if God doesn't have your money, he doesn't have your heart. That's just the Bible. It's absolutely the Bible. Isaiah said that they, they worship me with their, with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They don't put their money where their mouth is. It's important, guys, that we, that we come to that place. And if you're not there yet, that's okay, but pray. And ask the Holy Spirit to move in your heart and give you the trust, give you the courage, give you the faith to create a financial covenant with God, to make him the Lord of your finances. Because when you do, everything will change for you, I promise. It's unbelievable what happens when God is the God of your money, okay? Do you know that th this is what Jesus said? He said that man cannot serve two masters. He'll either love one or hate the other. He cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon was the word for the worldly uh, cycle of wealth generation and greed. You can't serve God and money. That's why it's important that God becomes the God of your money. And then he can trust you with money because you pass the test with it and he pours out a blessing on you that you can't possibly contain. I'm quoting the Bible to you and this is something I've lived my whole life because I had really good parents that taught me to put God first in every way, especially in finances. Amen? I want to encourage you. I want to pray for you today. Baby, will you come and stand with me while we pray? I'm so grateful for my family. I'm so grateful for you all. Thank you for being with us today. Would you just for a moment, would you stand to your feet and just lift your hands? Father, in the name of Jesus, would you move upon your people in a powerful way? God, we stand before you with arms raised, asking you, Father, to encounter us. We know that you desire to encounter us. You desire to per, and you pursue us, Father, and we're open for intimacy with you, and we want to encounter you, and we're willing to make space in our lives and make a priority and put you first and have real relationship with you. Father, would you respond to our worship today and respond to our heart's cry today and move in our hearts in Jesus' name. And if there's anybody here today that needs to get their heart right with the Lord, you need to get your heart right right now. Just repent to him for whatever you need. Anything that you need to apologize, just repent for anything that you need in Jesus' name. He hears you. He hears your confession. And he's making you right. Scripture says, confess and you shall be forgiven. In Jesus' name. Say this. Say, Father, make me new. Jesus, come into my life. I make you my Lord in every way. Holy Spirit, I want to encounter you. Come and fill me right now. I receive you, Holy Spirit. Come into my life. Fill me all the way up. Give me the gifts of the Spirit. And as I create a space in my life, as I create a holy place in my home, begin to speak to me. Give me new tongues, new prophecies, new ability to walk in your power as I practice in your presence. In the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Come on, give the Lord a hand. He's good. He's good.